I want to talk to you right now about a fundamental threat to American democracy. I do not mean our political and civil liberties. They will endure. And I do not refer to the outward strength of America, a nation that is at peace tonight everywhere in the world with unmatched economic power and military might. The threat is nearly invisible in ordinary ways. It is a crisis of confidence. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. We can see this crisis in the growing doubt about the meaning of our own lives and in the loss of a unity of purpose for our nation. The erosion of our confidence in the future is threatening to destroy the social and the political fabric of America. What you just listened to was a small snip of Jimmy Carter's 1979 Crisis of Confidence speech, which plods along at that pace for just over half an hour. Carter was addressing the nation during a time of great displeasure with the federal government. Though in 1976, he ran on the slogan, Not Just Peanuts, that ended up being the legacy of the Carter administration. But I am getting a little bit ahead of myself. Here I am talking about Carter when I should be talking about Nixon. I haven't said what this episode is about yet, and I still haven't done the intro. This is Hidden History, and you're listening to episode 70. Working Man's Blues. Hidden History is always available on www.hiddenhistory.show. And if you like what I do, then subscribe to the show on Spotify, review it on Apple Podcasts, and follow the show on Twitter at HIDDN History Pod. This week, I'm going to be talking about a lot of disparate things but mainly politics, economics, and music. This week, I want to talk about Jim Croce, the 1970s, and the music of an economic downturn. All right, let me get the biographical information out of the way real quick. Jim Croce was born in 1943 to Italian immigrant parents in South Philadelphia. He went to Villanova University, where he joined a number of campus music groups, graduated in 1965, marrying Ingrid Jacobson the next year, converting to Judaism and releasing his first album made up of 500 pressings, all of which sold out. And it's just now occurred to me that some of you might not know who Jim Croce is. Well, um, he was born in 1943 to Italian immigrant parents in South Philadelphia. He went to Villanova University where he joined a number of campus music groups, and um, you know the rest. The important thing that you should know is that he was an immensely talented singer and songwriter who was killed at the height of his popularity in a tragic plane crash in 1973, and that he looked like a somewhat dirtier version of Kevin Klein's character from I Love You to Death. Even if you don't recognize his name, then you've definitely heard his songs, like Time in a Bottle, Bad Bad Leroy Brown, You Don't Mess Around with the Gym, and Working at the Car Wash Blues. So when doing the research for this show, 
I came to the conclusion that there are two distinct types of Jim Croce song. There's the Heartbreak Ballad, which includes songs like Operator, and then there's the Working Man's Blues, songs which have common premises surrounding labor and daily life, but often have a bit of an absurdist or funny spin to the lyrics. These are songs like Working at the Car Wash Blues and my personal favorite Croce song, Roller Derby Queen. Now, as you can probably guess, I'm not really going to spend any time talking about Jim Croce's lamentations on heartbreak. Rather, I want to talk about what his songs about the average man say about the complex socioeconomic realities that produced them. That means it's time for me to talk about the history of the 1970s. And I hate to do this to you because I do this all the time. <laughs> but in order to talk about the 70s, I need to just say a few sentences about the 60s. So from the middle to the end of the 60s, we have the emergence of revolutionary politics, seen in groups like the Black Panther Party, the Black Liberators, the Nation of Islam, the White Panthers, and the Weather Underground. Now, a lot of these groups were part of the American New Left movement, which was kind of based around the premise that, surprise, surprise, American institutions only worked for the white upper class. For a while, it looked like real change was coming, thanks in large part to incredibly talented political organizers like Fred Hampton, who effectively ended gang violence on the streets of Chicago by uniting everyone under the banner of the Rainbow Coalition, which used its power to improve communities and help people. And then what happened to Fred Hampton? Mm, the FBI murdered him. Hampton himself was killed in a pre-dawn raid on December 4th, 1969, that was orchestrated by the FBI to stop the Black Panthers from gaining any more power. And so we enter into the 70s. As a result of the recession of 1969, de facto and de jure discrimination, and the fact that the government had just straight up murdered anyone fighting for change, meant a few things. First, that the average American wasn't doing too well. Converted to $2020, the average white family in 1970 earned $16,461, while the average black family only earned $10,097. It also meant that after witnessing the murders of leaders like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, some people just gave up hope that America could be changed for the better through conventional means. If the American dream had ever existed, this would have been the last nail in its coffin. And then we move on to Nixon. Winning the election of 1968, Nixon assumed control of a country that saw a 6.2% inflation rate in 1969, a rather high number, to put it simply. In an attempt to lower the inflation rate, he legislated the Economic Stabilization Act of 1970, the Revenue Act of 1971, and what's called the Nixon Shock, which was largely a series of wage freezes and tariffs, but more importantly, decoupled the US dollar from the gold standard, effectively collapsing the Bretton Woods monetary system that had governed global markets since the end of World War II. The Nixon Shock manages to do some pretty nasty things down the line. In concert with the 1973 OPEC embargo, which caused one of the energy crises, 
The after-effects of the Nixon shock directly contributed to the 1973-75 recession, as well as stagflation that would haunt America into the first term of President Reagan. Incidentally, the energy crisis, the recession, and some other things that maybe aren't super relevant to this episode also contributed to the American steel crisis, which today we often refer to as deindustrialization, or the reason that we refer to a vast swath of the eastern United States as the Rust Belt. So I've been talking about, I guess, rather dry economic policy and political machinations for a little bit now, but how is any of this relevant to a folk singer with one of the most ridiculous mustaches I've ever seen? Well, to answer that question, I need to analyze Jim Croce's lyrical relationship with the American dream. If you're familiar with a lot of his work, then you'll already know that a very common theme in his songs is denial, not getting what you want. In many cases, this is interchangeable with not getting what you think you deserve. In Working at the Car Wash Blues, the lyrics tell the story of a man who's just been released from prison, and even though he thinks himself brilliant, he's consigned to a life of disappointment working at the local car wash. In his wonderful live recording of Shopping for Clothes, he sings a dialogue between himself and a slick salesman doing his best to sell him a fancy suit. In the end, he buys it, but his credit is rejected. That's a suit, he says, I'm never gonna own. Well, ain't that some shit. In box number 10, the main character of the song, a skilled guitar player, moves to New York from the Midwest and is summarily chewed up and spit out by a city that wants to destroy him at every turn. In Hard Time Losin' Man, he recounts all of the times that he's been the unsuspecting victim of a bold-faced con. If you listen to any of these songs, you'll find that none of them are slow lamentations, they're not tearjerkers, but these are invariably songs about despair, about disappointment. Notably, these aren't songs about personal failure. That kind of narrative is largely confined to songs like Operator, Age, and Lover's Cross. Jim Croce is, in his own way, singing about social failure. He's writing in a time when, like now, it's painfully obvious that we have non-functional institutions. At a time when it's readily apparent that the American people have been given a sour deal, he sings in Hard Time Losing Man about buying an expensive, flashy car that falls apart as soon as it hits a bump. Of course, if I wanted to be really simplistic with it, I could just say, art reflects the time in which it was made. But then this episode would have been 20 seconds long, and it's already, I feel, a little bit shorter than what I usually do. And ultimately, I don't even think that that phrasing does it justice. Yes, of course, art reflects the period in which it was created. That's why all of those old white guys you read in high school English class thought using slurs was super cool. Art, in this case music, isn't just an echo of its context. Rather, it's a capsule, a crystallization of a state of mind. We can add incredible amounts of depth to our historical analysis if we realize that art history 
is not just art history. A true study of history is intersectional on every front. The more thoughtful and nuanced we can make our analysis, the more beautiful and complex becomes our ability to perceive it. I know this was a little bit shorter than usual, but if you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you subscribed to the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, followed at HIDDNHistoryPod on Twitter, and shared the show with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History. Signing off. Well, I was shot for suit the other day and walked in a department store. Stepped on the elevator and told the girl, dry goods flow. When I get off a sales, come up to me say, now, what can I do for you? I say, now, go in there and show me them sport clothes like you're supposed to. He say, show, come on in, buddy. Dig your fabrics are going lay that here on the shelf. As big as if I want, try it on. Stand to me and dig yourself. Ooh, buddy, that suit's pure hearing bone. Yeah, that's the suit I like to own. Ooh, say, buddy, that suit is you. Yeah, and I believe it too. I see for the businessman, you got the natural shoulders, the retail, wholesale, and deal. Got the custom cuff and the walking short. He said, I'm gonna let you have that for steel. For the playball, you featuring the latest in tweeds with the cutaway flap over twice. It's a box back two button western model. He said, Ain't that nice? Ooh, and them buttons are solid gold. Ooh, you made a deal, so. And that collar, pure camel hair. Ooh. You just step right on that chair there. Now you go back there and get that paper. Let me sign on the dotted line. And I make sure I get all my payments is in right on time. You say, wait a minute, buddy. Let me go back a little checking on you. Then the man come back and say, I'm sorry, my man, but your critic didn't go through. Oh, say what you mean. Ain't this a shame? Ooh, my heart's in pain. Ooh, pure, pure camera hair. Ooh, and that's a suit I'm never gonna own. Ain't that some shit?